The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here's Brandon. Welcome to the first episode of 2021 and a rather uh, thrown together one at that. But today we shall be discussing the 1966 film Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD or 2150 AD or however you want to say the year. (laughs) Joining me here today to discuss the film is an audio editor from Big Finish Productions and an on-air promotions producer from... W-I-T or W-T. I always say it wrong. W-T-I-U-T-V in Bloomington. My dear friend, Russell McGee. Hello. I got Good to, well, be back slash be on the show for the first time here. So. Right. Yeah. You were a like five or six time guest over at Cult Cinema Cavalcade back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And congrats on the new show. Cause yeah. I've not officially been able to say that, uh, you know, <laughs> on the air. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, and you were always going to be on the show. You're just on a little sooner than I had in my logistics. As I, as I talked with Maxwell Haddad, like I, I planned this out insanely far into the future and people were showing up like familiar faces in different spots. So you've been bumped up. Um, uh, but yeah, this was not the episode I sold the people on the previous promo or uh, in my social media. But um, due to my my laptop cr- crashing, dying out, which that sucks, um, that episode is now and delayed. You know, I can completely relate and commiserate with you on because I had the exact same thing just happen to me on the last episode that I was editing for Gallifrey Time War. So mm-hmm. I hear you and I feel your pain everybody's having my guest gretel claggett she had she she recorded with me when we recorded on her tablet and towards the end of the episode it started having issues not at the end of the episode or we conversed for a while after and it was having issues so we had to leave and then she messaged me like her thing is all screwed up so maybe she gave it to me and I gave it to some like it, it's just going around. I, I saw Stephanie Crawford, who's been a guest on the show before her laptop died this, this couple days ago as well. So it's going around like COVID, but for computers, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was all over again. <laughs> so you, if you are looking forward to The Great Dictator with Gretel Claggett, it's coming January uh, 18th now. And so it's just been shifted around, but you get Russell McGee instead. And Russell is a brilliant person to have on the show. Um, and just give people who may not have listened to cult cinema cavalcade, but you listen to the Brandon Peters show. Thank you. Love you. Uh, Russell, you uh, were talking about Dr. Who you are deeply connected in the world of Dr. Who, uh, you are an audio editor, of big finish productions, which I am uh, for those who don't know, it's a it's a they create audio dramas and audio books, right? They do those too. Yes, they do and, do both. And they do tons, and not just Doctor Who, like any British series that you thought ended didn't end because Big Finish picks it up. Like we talked about Space 1999 in the show. 
they continue that one. They continue the Avengers. They continue. They do a lot of stuff. But uh, Russell, you've been involved with Doctor Who. Uh, right. What was your first story that you worked on with the Doctor Actually, Who? It was uh, Third Doctor box set, volume one. I can't even remember if it was 2015 or 14 when that came out. But I've been now working with them for seven years, going on seven years this year. And um, I worked on a third doctor story called the prisoners of the lake and you know uh base under siege type story so classic doctor who and i am a huge third doctor fan so it also was just a pleasure to be able to have that be the first story yeah that's, <laughs> that's a, you got the needle in the haystack almost right there yeah, no, and uh, since then, um, now four years ago, then I started working on Gallifrey Time War. Can mm -hmm. you believe it's already been four years now? That's crazy. <laughs> well, so, you yeah. said seven. I'm like, dang, that's a lot. And now the yeah. Time War, four years. Yeah, so we're actually finishing that up with this fourth box set that's coming out in February. So, yeah, and exciting things that are going to happen there. It ties up and ties directly into what you saw on the, the TV show with David Tennant. Uh, I'm not going to give you any spoilers. <laughs> so if you want to listen, you'll have to go and actually get the set either digitally or online at bigfinish.com. Yeah. Russell and I talk a lot of Doctor Who, and he keeps a lot of Doctor Who from me. So he keeps, <laughs> he does keep to his word and his, and his job. What, um, what are some of the big, Tell the people, like, I know these answers, but uh, let them know some of the big, like, Doctor Who actors that you've gotten to edit the audio for and put together and, like, what it's like to be like, oh, I've got so-and-so in my ears and I well, can make them say this. The weirdest thing was actually just recently, uh, Nick Briggs, who is the voice of the dialects, was uh, doing wild tracks and working with the director. And then all of a sudden in my ear earphones, I'm editing and stuff, and I hear him say, Russell McGee, hello. We have a note for you. And like, because <laughs> they want to pass something on to me, but like, that's not happened to me before, even being there seven years. And it was, it was just like, oh, that, that's cool. I have a dialect ordering me from Nick Briggs over across the sea. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, no, that was cool. Um, Derek Jacoby, uh, who I'm sure most, I sh would hope most people know. Um, uh but like he well for people who listen to this show when we did uh day of the jackal he's in that movie so he was what, what was that i'm trying to think um not just doctor who i'm trying to think he was in a famous sci-fi show from the 70s as far as the the film and i'm blanking on the name right now i'll come back to that later but <laughs> also like derek jacoby um then actually the big one on this set is we have Richard Armitage. So that that's pretty killer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I've gotten to work with or work indirectly with Tom Baker and um, <laughs> <laughs> Louise Jameson multiple times and also Lala Ward multiple times with the Gallifrey sets. So it's, it's really cool to be able to, you know, hear them and yeah you know somebody that i've grown up with and love and now i'm actually getting to work with yeah so cool and tom baker whose birthday is coming up just just so everyone knows it might be on the greatest day of the year it might be 
I might share that day with him. I don't know. Mm. Just putting that out there. Humbly putting that out there. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, like, what uh, what other than Doctor Who uh, stories have you? Is it you're strictly a Doctor Who, or have you done any of their other programs? I I actually haven't. I haven't okay. done anything other than uh, Doctor Who and Gallifrey. Uh, but to also add to like what you said, they have done Stargate. They've also done uh, Highlander, hmm. and they have, and they've continued to do Dark Shadows. So, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Then- there's a lot of American shows that they also mm-hmm. have brought back and continue to do. And they just recently did some Star Trek as well. So they've got their fingers in a quite, quite a few pies. Normally they do about 180 full cast audio dramas a year, a year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always, I always laugh when they, they announce one and it's like, you know, uh, Colin Baker and Nicole, Nicole O'Brien, uh, they're doing this adventure coming October, 2023. It's like, what? wait <laughs> it's so funny how far in advance they'll do. but then they'll have like the christopher eccleston stuff it's like oh that's coming right away <laughs> we are that he's he's turning off his mic and we are editing that and having it in the store next week it feels like but well that's, that's twofold it's one it's like what right. you're doing as far as trying to make sure that you have things planned out far enough in advance right yes but then it's also a matter of some of these actors are getting on yeah so they're trying to get as much as they can recorded as fast as they can. Right. Out. So like with Tom Baker, they have it like four years out. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well, in the case of like Eccleston, that's strike while the iron's hot for selling yep. and get that. Don't pull that back. Yeah. Well, and availability too. Right. Like also getting some of these higher profile actors in when they can and mm-hmm. their availability. So Gotcha, gotcha. And I got to make the joke. I know I've made this joke already, uh, but with Revolution of the Daleks just airing, do, do you foresee yourself ever getting uh, handed a pile of uh, Ryan Sinclair and Graham uh, Paranormal PI Investigators spinoff? Because I, I, the minute that happened, I was like, oh, Big Finish is like a new series. Yes, yes. I know, and I'm sure somebody <laughs> will like strike with that. I, I who knows it might have even been something that they were they were thinking about I don't know because like they're directly and I told you this they, mm-hmm. they have direct ties like we're obviously with Nick Nick's talking to the production team and like we've got to run anything that's written by them as far as down mm-hmm. in BBC Wells so I did now several years ago a story that I wrote and that's something that was kind of cool because yeah actually had to go down to the BBC in Wales and be approved before we could even do anything as far as recording it so that's awesome yeah it's big business and <laughs> crazy yeah but like they just don't want to make they want to make sure that there's there isn't any conflicting stories that they have planned out mm-hmm. for the series that that will then you know not jive with something that big finish is doing so they're trying to make sure that everybody's playing ball together and knows what they're doing gotcha yeah um, big continuity department <laughs> going on yep. fun stuff and always in the cracks because you know when b- between the fifth doctor and perry leaving the planet of fire to go to the caves of androzani they went on three thousand adventures <laughs> <laughs> and didn't age a day but that's the fun of it and you know i i don't take it too seriously just throw on an adventure and go because i I, like the first time we talked i hadn't 
about Big Finish. I hadn't gotten into them and now I've sort of dabbled and then COVID-19 has me working from home a lot. So I was, they were my like drive to where I was like, yeah, big, I was getting into it. And then pause till we, I have a regular drive to work again, but I was really enjoying it. But it's, it's definitely something I recommend to people. If you find a show that you used to like, check out a big finish story and enjoy your car rides. Well, it's like the eighth doctor completely just lives basically. Oh, that, on, yeah. He, he's like, the big finish doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like two TV appearances and that's it. And then like that was with the second one uh, back with the 50th. There's several mentions of companions that he had that were big finish. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So that actually then also made that canonical. So that was kind of cool. So mm-hmm. I did all together with big finish and and the actual TV show. And a lot of a lot of people say or they believe and I, I'd say I probably agree with them like that that Colin Baker, like his doctor redeemed himself through big finish, even though if he is what he is. I mean, I think you just get comfortable with him, even though he gets to play a little more like that's that's the thing with Colin Baker. He hits you in the face, but then you step back and you're like, OK, I see. I see what we have here. Um, well, and or strangles, know. more like strangles, ah! not 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 hit you in the face, more like strangles. But. But uh, yeah, no, like, yeah, through him, there's, yeah, the, the, and you could, I mean, who knows, maybe Joe Martin's future of stories and such could be in big finish. We mm-hmm. never know, but we have to know where she's going first or <laughs> if anything, but she seems to love the role. So I don't know if, if uh, she would turn down big finish, who knows, but maybe, you know, more than I do, but I don't know. <laughs> You'll never guess what happens at the end of the time war, Brandon. <laughs> and no i can't say anything <laughs> fair enough and, and since you can't we'll move on to daleks invasion earth 2150 ad it's directed by gordon fleming who also directed the previous doctor who and the daleks and stars peter cushing as doctor who bernard cribbins roberta tovey as uh susan once again and Gerald curzon and Ray Brooks. Uh, the writing credit goes to Milton Sabotsky. It's from a serial by Terry Nation, but also additional material credited to David Whitaker, yep. who he was involved in the series from the beginning, Unearthly Child, and his last credited stuff was Ambassadors of Death in season uh, season seven with the third Doctor. But he's, I mean, he's written such bangers as Power of the Daleks, Evil of the Daleks, Enemy of the World, Wheel in Space, and Ambassadors of Death. Um, but he's a story editor on the original Dalek serial, which is probably why he gets his credit here with the additional material. Maybe. Do you know that Russell? That I don't know specifically, but yes, I would assume as well, because he would have probably written additional dialogue. Right. That, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, based on adapt. It's adapted from the six part television series, which is afterward dubbed the Dalek invasion of earth. Uh, originally running on the BBC from November 21st through December 26th of 1964. It's notable for the return of the very popular Dalek villain, but also the departure of Susan, played uh, by Susan, uh, <clears throat> was her name? Susan Carolyn Foreman. Ford. What? Carolyn Ford. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I screwed up because I have my box over here of the Eagle Moss figurines from the original TARDIS crew, and I just see Susan Foreman. I was like, oh, yeah, Susan Foreman. Wrote that down wrong in a hurry. But yeah, Carolyn Ford, who played Susan. Uh, and I believe it was also the final serial shot in the original production block. 
though it's the second serial of the second season. I think that was, and then they picked up with uh, the rescue was the first of their second block. I think. Yeah, I don't know I, that. I don't know. I didn't look into when I couldn't tell you right off the top of my head. But you did mention Bernard Cribbins. Yes. And- Yes, and for newer series fans, you'll know actually that name as uh, Donna's grandfather, Will. So mm-hmm. Bernard Cribbins actually got his start all the way back when it, with this film. So that's actually his introduction to the Hooniverse. He's one of the people that got to be in both Hooniverse things. Um, yeah, he would return. He was in Who Jail until 2007. I don't know. That's the thing, but... Um, yeah, so that's a that's a very and I noticed his his voice. I kept if like I closed my eyes, I'd have thought Graham was talking. <laughs> they kind of sounded very similar, like very similar accent and tone of the voice. Um, uh, Fleming, who we mentioned, the director Gordon Fleming. He uh, just a little background of him. He was predominantly a British television director, and he did such series as Lovejoy, Bergerac, The Avengers, and The Saints. So he's like when we talk an old space show. Uh, every week we talk about these writers. I'm like, yep, they hit the classics. <laughs> They're they were on uh, for every one of them. And this is basically it's a different name, but this is basically an Amicus production. They they are behind the company's name that's on this, which is like AA something. But yeah. everywhere around, like no, these those two were Amicus movies, pretty much. So. Um, yeah so this one is yeah like we said it's a condensed version um and like actually one of my favorite doctor who classic stories is the original dialogue invasion of earth yeah i, I, I like, like it the film too but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i i like the uh yeah the, i like the original the invasion of earth is probably my favorite dalek story with hartnell yep. um and even better than the first one i think um i agree a lot more and yeah, because you know, people have problems with the chase. I think the chase is kind of fun, but I people have problems with that one. Um, but who doesn't like a little Mary Celeste? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted Dracula and Frankenstein's monster in my Doctor Who. I mean, <laughs> and speaking of Dracula, this film opens up with the Bach, uh, Toccata, uh, and Fugue, Fugue Minor, um, uh, which is notable for Dracula and haunted house things. When we first open up the the movie, uh, that's kind of that's kind of nifty, and that theme kind of comes back around a couple times in the film, which is an interesting choice. Now, are you? Um, I know we are both kind of cold on the original Doctor Who and the Daleks film, but we're much more high on this one. Agreed. Is that correct to say for you? Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like yeah, uh, they kind of. I don't know what it is. It's the same director. Uh, a lot of the same crew. They're taking it a lot more seriously. Whereas mm-hmm. the first film, they were treating it more like a, a children's film or almost pantomime as far as some of the goofiness that they were doing with it. Um, like if 60s Disney made a Doctor Who movie, that's probably what you get close to. There, there, there's still some the first one? moments in here. There's even like a point where early on one of the characters directly looks at it at the camera and Mm -hmm. almost has a little wink at the camera right and and there's also that sequence and sorry i'm getting ahead no you can go russell (laughs) russell this is a loose conversation you can go all over the movie so don't don't worry about that so yeah (laughs) 
but uh, I was going to say um, that that sequence with the Robo Men, as far mm-hmm. as with Bernard Cribbins, and where they have the whole lunch dinner. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a Buster Keaton or Chaplin like little routine as far as the comic like mirror act that's going on that he's trying to play and follow them around mm-hmm. and keep time with what's going on. So like there's definitely a bit of slapstick in the way that they do it. So we still have some of that from the first film, mm-hmm. but th- there's definitely more a serious tone overall to this film. Well, I think it works better with Cribbins here than it did with the actor and is Ian because Cribbins <laughs> isn't portrayed as a bumbling idiot. He's just kind of a, a he's not a tough guy, but he's a lovable. He, he has the figure of like a tough guy, but he's kind of a more approachable person and yep. he's, just got more competency to him that helps in those and that i was funny because i was uh with that scene you mentioned with the the lunch tray scene i was like you know they tightened up a six-part story pretty decently here but it's still um bloated in parts because i was like we have to sit through eight robo men getting their thing like you could have been like let's have four guys come in do you know and we watched it's one shot we watched the whole thing uh, go through which it's a it's a funny enough bit it's just i had to cut a couple of those robo men out and get the same yeah. idea clearly it's, somebody was having fun so right can't begrudge them that no no <laughs> and, it, and it, this is a 84 minute movie and it's like oh that felt long but i mean it was just something i noticed i'm like well wow they went for eight of them to go do this but yeah i I, I like the um, the opening of this. Like I, I went uh, uh, tossed back there real quick. Um, I did like how they had the introduction. They they quickly established Cribbins' character very well, yeah. and um, the TARDIS and the crew. And it's like we're here. And for those who didn't see it last time, here's a quick update. The TARDIS looks better than it did. It's not just like a mess of wires laying around. It's still got a curtain wall thing going on where it's like just curtains but uh i i really i, th- I thought the tardis looked better inside than before and they just quickly said yeah you know what you're in a time machine <laughs> so let's go i'm the doc i'm oh i'm doctor who this is Susie. um and they we definitely had more budget with this film you can tell oh yeah like yeah, even it, the saucer and stuff too yeah the saucer actually the model work in this is pretty good yeah yeah it's it's, it's up until the very Huh? Right. The the two spinning layers as far as levels on the the top of the saucer. Yeah. yeah. No, I they did that very well. Up up until the very end when it knocks over the tower as it's crashing, which it didn't. Nothing looked modelly to me up until yeah. that. And it lands. It flies. It shoots stuff from outer space. I'm like, that's pretty good. You can see some wires here and there. I saw the wires. <laughs> I saw wires, but I ignore them. I I have an imagination. I'm like, okay, I, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately yeah. you probably didn't see it until blu-ray oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to point that out to people i'm like some things we see that you if you saw it in a theater you might still see it but we clean things up like there was a there's been movie there was like a movie I watched one time i think it was on another show uh it was the tom hanks he knows you're alone it's a slasher film from the 80s and there's a workout scene and you can see girls nipples under their shirts i'm like that's got to be like Blu-ray doing that. Cause like, there's no way. Cause it, that's, there's no way you would have saw that on DVD or well, it wasn't Blu-ray. It was an HD uh, stream, 
because I want that movie on Blu-ray and it's not. So, uh, but uh, yeah, no, like the model work. Um, I think the ship stuff works better. Like a lot of the sets look a lot better. The only thing that maintains that kind of stagey look is the inside of the Dalek ship. But they do some interesting stuff with filming it, like filming it from a Dalek perspective to like give you a look at the bridge to start. That was that was kind of neat. Um, but interesting side note is like also because it was done outside of the BBC and through Terry Nation, mm-hmm. like all of the sound effects as far as overall for like the dialect ship and everything here. They're only used here. They don't get used in the TV show. So like it's all original sound effects. Okay. Like even the dialect doors that everybody hears and everything, it's like all original stuff that's actually really cool sound effects that has only been used for this film. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the I mean, yeah, because Terry Nation that that estate's pretty stingy with Dalek stuff from what I've I've gathered. Yep. Like you gotta okay with them. We almost didn't have them come back in two thousand five, if you remember. Oh, yep, yep, that's true. Yep. Yep. They almost had to rewrite uh, Robert Sherman's dialect story because they weren't sure if they were going to get the rights with the Terry Nation estate. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, one thing that I would comment on is like, I was wondering if we were going to have the claws again from the first film because that's again, that's a mm. only a dialect movie thing. And yeah, they're here, but like they do have the plungers, which, you know, is from the TV show. Right. The claws. I did notice when the Daleks attacked, they only used their smoke, their little like fog guns. They didn't use any lasers. And then when the Robomen shot, they didn't have a blast. It was like sound effect, lighting of the gun, and then an explosion, which means that's where some of the money maybe didn't go. Well, that's, and I was actually, that was what I was going to say is I was wondering if they did that to cut on budget because like, I think they had lasers in the first film. Yeah. I thought that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while since we watched that one. So I'm not sure, but like, I, that was the one thing I was like, okay, everybody's dying from being sprayed on, uh, moisturize me, moisturize me, mm-hmm. so, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's like, Oh, the, <laughs> like, and it like, it's like that barely hit him. That barely hit that guy, uh, but it, it it is what it is. It's still, I, I think, it's still menacing on it to a degree. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of stuff with it. The robo, I think, the Robo Men improve over the TV. Uh, uh, yeah. TV one that yeah. they had the huge helmets and just sure these are campy looking guys too, but um, in a much more That's like huge. adorable Perfect. way. Um, the helmets are more feasible the wetsuits or whatever they are like it it looks it looks 60s sci-fi it's, yeah it's really cool yeah definitely i like that and then um uh, with uh, there was a, a scene early on when the the doctor gets taken to the dalek ship and they meet all those guys there was there was a stunt in here that was uh, amazing where the guy runs off runs upstairs into the oh, yeah. rubble building, falls through an awning and onto a pile of rocks and gets up only to be smoke death. <laughs> but I was like, holy crap. Apparently he hurt himself. He like broke his leg or something doing it. And so when he, uh, the part where he gets up is after he'd been to like hospital, had a cast and they put his pants on over it. But um, that was outstanding. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Cause he really did. I mean, they show him go up. I mean, it's not a dummy. It's not anything. It's a guy. 
and again, Blu-ray, you could also tell that where he landed by the bricks, they had some sort of mattress thing yeah. there for him to land on. So it was definitely still done safely. Safely, yeah. It just yeah. looked effective. Yeah, just, no, it was dude. very effective. Yeah, there was no bungee on that guy. Or no, 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 think he was a he fell. No wires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, when we get to the cast, so like we mentioned, Bernard Cribbins, uh, and he replaces like the obviously the Ian character, and then Louise, the doctor's nephew, uh, or nephew niece, niece. his niece. <laughs> uh, she's replacing Barbara. Uh, which I guess you can't have Ian and Barbara separate, but w- Louise is new and then Louise gets nothing to do. Like, And it's weird because Barbara had plenty to do in this story. So if they just changed the names, um, they seem to give like Susan a lot of her situation. And like there's, a, there's a, one of the memorable scenes from the television show is the where they get in the van and start driving over things. And Barbara's driving over Daleks, which just has turned into Susan and Weiler, this old guy from the resistance camp doing it, which is interesting. But they Louise just is almost just there. Like there's yeah. nothing, nothing to give her. Um, she's not even really a romantic interest of Bernard Cribbins. Uh, who plays Tom Campbell? Uh, like it's yeah. I'm like, what? Why Louise? Why not just the Doctor and Susan? But if they're not going to give her anything interesting to do, other than, I guess, be the adult for Susan when the Doctor goes away and then get captured, or I, it's weird. Product of the times. Product of the times. I guess. We're like, well, no, we have to have four people. That's what the. Yeah. Know. Yeah. No, it, and it you brought up the name change thing. Like, they actually did that even if you technically look at what they did with Susie versus Susan. Mm-hmm. And it, again, with Doctor Who, it's actually DR period who versus... Right. Yeah. Which some and, of the end credits of, of the Hartnell series did DR who um, once in a while. So that was just not a... Back then, they didn't care as much about those things as we do now. But, but Fair. it was like, we're really going to get an argument about this. I do get trolled by my producer. He tends to want to, knows it bothers me if he spells it DR who. So he constantly <laughs> says DR who. So, Brad, if you're listening, I know. I know. <laughs> he even did it in that video uh, recently, but he continues his little joke. But, uh yeah um it's yeah that's interesting um Cushing is like back and game and they're kind of just letting letting him be less of a character and more of a character yep in this one and he's very good he's much stronger in this film than he was in the first one and I I joked with you before we even got on about like I I can't stand his duck walk in the first film Mm -hmm. but like he pretty much loses that and like it's more just as he's doing a character and like he's being Peter Cushing and being pretty badass. Yeah, he so, still keeps the same type of vocal uh yeah. game, but like in a different way. It's really impressive. And I I love his his outfit. I love the color scheme he's got. And there's a little detail like every time he goes outside, he puts on his little gloves. 
I like that. And, and it's kind of funny because um, Peter Cushing has always been known for being really into his costume and prop continuities uh, on movies. And I was like, oh, he I bet he was like, every time I go outside, I wear the gloves. <laughs> I wear the gloves. Um, those were neat. I'd take a pair of those. I liked them. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, Peter Cushing's, I mean, he even in the last movie, I think he's still pretty good. He's much better here. But yeah. like, gosh, it's like, a, it feels like, a great doctor was wasted. Not, I uh, wasted is a harsh word, but used here rather than. Well, and, and I think you're opening the bridge up here for me. No. Uh, that we we also like I, I mentioned to you that uh, they had made or had planned on doing a 52 uh, episode radio series with this, yeah with Peter Cushing as the doctor. And uh, they actually did uh, record the pilot, uh, but unfortunately, that no longer exists. It's called Journey Into Time, and it was written by another uh, famous Doctor Who writer, uh, Malcolm Hulk. Um, so, like, very deep ties with the actual television show. And the script actually surfaced back in 2012, but pretty much anything else with the series is just kind of gone into the ether as far mm -hmm. as time. So there's not much known about it. They don't even know who was cast aside from Peter Cushing in the pilot. So not good record keepers, those BBC and <laughs> UK media back in the, back in the day, but it was like what, 1967. Yep. And I, you told me about this and I went and did some research and apparently they were going to do Marco Polo, uh as a part of this series as well and there was a couple I did not know yeah mark there was like apparently an advertisement that existed or they found or something like that and it promised certain adventures marco polo was one there were other historical figures uh that were on that were a part of that as well but i noticed i was like marco polo huh no oh, okay <laughs> the yeah. legend continues of marco polo <laughs> As Brandon knows, Marco Polo is the one story that I would absolutely mm -hmm. love to have come back as far as one of the missing episodes or stories. Because all seven episodes are missing on that storyline from the first season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's like the bit. That would be just... Hopefully, they're just holding it out for that 60th anniversary to go, here you go. <laughs> so. Hopefully, hopefully. We'll see. And you know, it would be great if... It they found one episode of it would it be good to be the first one the last one or the one they have no telesnaps for which would be i mean I any would, of them's great but any of them would be great and i i would i would actually say probably the one without any telesnaps, telesnaps yeah but um because that's the one where they're in the cave and all that weird that was what i was on. gonna say the, yeah. The, yeah what is this the cave of I can't even remember the singing sands or something <laughs> was the title. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one's actually got a fantastic reconstruction. If you folks can find it from loose cannon, they've done multiple ones, but the, the one, once they found the telesnaps in black and white is it's as exciting to watch as you could imagine from a telesnap reconstruction. Yeah, when, when they originally did the telesnap reconstruction, there weren't any telesnaps at all for that serial. So there wasn't really any photos except for like behind the scenes things that were taken by the designer mm -hmm. stuff like that. And the initial one that they did was all in color. And then Brandon's right. Then the telesnap surfaced and they were able to actually go back and redo it and create a new reconstruction of it. 
Um, the other cool thing about that is they got the original actor um, to come back, Mark Eden. Yes. And, and do some introductions as Marco Polo and character. And then he did a behind the scenes interview. And I also was musing that if they ever released that, it would be nice to include those. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, Mark Eden just passed on January 1st. Right. So, yeah. And for, the, for those of you listening to the show and being like, what the heck is a telesnap? I'm going to quickly do that and we'll go back to 2150 AD. The telesnap <laughs> is a thing that uh, used to use an old television over in UK, at least, where they would have somebody who would take a camera and take pictures of this, like a screen cap. You would call it a screen cap today of many points throughout an episode. And what they would do is they would take them to actors and directors and be be like, you want to use these because people didn't have demo reels back in the day. So they would they would use those telesnaps as like an audition. Like I was in Doctor Who. Here's a picture of me acting in Doctor Who. Wouldn't I be good in this? Because they didn't. I mean, you couldn't just make a quick video back then or anything. And they didn't rerun shows. They didn't give you a reel. Uh, you couldn't splice together. So that was kind of a, a tool for that. And they would commission a guy. I can't remember his name right now, but um, he would he would do that. Uh, he would take snaps of them. And because those have surfaced and that there's audio available for these episodes due to fan recordings, whole other story, people have put together a group called Loose Canning and others others do it as well. Um, they take the telesnaps and put them in order to follow along with the audio and try to recreate a still frame version of episodes so you can watch and listen to the audio. It's terrific stuff and now back to daleks invasion of earth 2150 ag which peter cushing great and i love there was i i laughed out loud there's a part where he and bernard cribbins tom are captured by the daleks they're put in a dalek cell and he's like oh i know how to get out of these didn't you see the last movie they're magnetic and so he opens it up he comes out and they're quickly surrounded by daleks and he goes back in the cell and it was such a good line delivery. <laughs> I, I I loved it. I've, and I've been on a cushy. I've been watching some a lot of Hammer Frankenstein recently, and it's just oh great to see that man in action and such versatile stuff too. But yeah, that was that was a good one. And there's odd little um, quirks that they keep from the serial, like little details that you could maybe go away. But um, I like they kept the the Dalek coming out of the water. Yeah, but it's real yeah. fast. It's not scary, or it's like, hey, I'm here. Rah. Yeah, and uh, also Susan uh, hurting her ankle, which impacts the TV serial, but not this. No, no, because the timing, uh, the pacing of it, like they couldn't do that, and the way they had in the TV serial. Like I, I've seen this movie a couple times, and I'm like, I always forget. I'm like, oh yeah, that they added, <laughs> that's there. Because it's so inconsequential. It's only, I think, meant to split them up at the beginning. That's all it really does. But hey, the girder falling in front of the TARDIS and everything's much more believable. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes. The TV but, show, it, it's it's just uh, like one bar or something that falls down in front. And it's like, oh, the whole bridge is falling in front right. of the TARDIS. <laughs> we can't get back inside. And they could have. <laughs> Right, right. Um, I, I will say um, with with the original, with this one, there's a lot more. I think one thing that helps it is a lot more location shooting on this one. 
helps bring in. I think Fleming's a lot better with that than he is with the interiors and the stage stuff. And what was kind of neat is the original series, I believe Dalek Invasion of Earth, that was the first time the TV show went on location shooting as well. So it's kind of neat. I think that was one of the big appeals with that is they went out, at least went out into the into yeah, London and stuff. Location shoot with uh, Rain of what was it? Rain of Oh, Rain of Terror. Terror. So they did that, but okay. they actually didn't use William Hartnell when they did that. They actually used a stand-in double. Oh, okay, okay. That that, that, that was part. the first time. Yeah. Okay. Well, this one they I, maybe this was the appeal was shooting in London. They did a lot of stuff shooting there. Um, and then yeah, because I mean this one I don't know has it's you know it does a lot more favors and it gives it a lot more than just like, Hey, it's in color. Like that was the appeal last time, which back then, yes, it would be of an appeal, but this one having it on location and stuff, it just, it's also better lit. Um, just kind of gives it a better feel and, and works. But the odd details, as far as like the small things that, that crossed over, like mm-hmm. there was even like when they look across to the abandoned factory, it's the exact same factory that they used in the TV show, yeah. except for in color and location footage. Right. Or I think it was like a still image or something that they used in studio with the other. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's cool to see that. And then I don't know if this struck you, but something that was like, Wow, animal rights back in the day was when they were driving through with Susan in in the van trying to escape with the saucer over them. Mm-hmm. They went through all of those chickens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? They just did that? And yeah, and the one chicken I saw like kept going along with the truck and oh, geez. finally ran out and off. To that sun. didn't that none of that changed until Never Say Never Again in 1983 when they saw a horse fall off a cliff and went enough. That's when things changed. But oh, yeah, that's <laughs> I know chickens, but it still is like, oh, that's yeah, yeah, like let it have its life before full life before we eat it, you know, like. That's... <laughs> Go, oh yeah, that's whew. I it's been an action stuff. The uh the escape from the Dalek ship uh in like the first half of the movie is pretty pretty good. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on. A guy throws the Dalek down a ramp. Um a lot of good cuts. It was yeah, it's just much a it's a much easier watch. Like this one never feels like, oh wow, we've still got a lot left, like the other one did. Um and they're both short movies, but uh yeah, I thought definitely this one works a lot a lot better um and just change it i mean uh david obviously doesn't fall in love with susan this time right right <laughs> and susan leaves like is that'd be an age problem right there <laughs> their their love story but um and also uh, peter cushing doesn't pass out for uh, a 20 minute segment so take a holiday or whatever although i found it very hard and all the peter cushing apparently fell ill during this movie and they had to shoot around that oh really yeah what happened i, I don't know they said it said he he, he came uh, became ill and uh it made some some of the scenes had to be rewritten and some of the story had to be shot differently so they did change the end though i don't know if you noticed that in that uh they played up with the earth magnetism which Mm -hmm. plays into the original dialect serial with the the magnetism as far as them using that as far as to get away around the city okay 
and in this in the film version they had it where all the dialects were pulled back into the mine shaft right by by the magnetism that's not in the original serial that's not how the dialects die it's they're attacked by the robo men and right that's, that's that yeah this maybe they we can go for a big explosion and <laughs> things crashing so maybe that's i wonder if, i wonder how much say nation had cuz i mean he's not he's only credited as the story from the serial, but I wonder if he, how much say he had in those changes or maybe that's something he said, you know what? I would have done this if I could have. I just thought it was an interesting change and something that they did. So just pointing it out. No. Yeah, no, I totally, totally. I get, I get that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. There's yeah a lot of little changes. I, I do like the bookend they have where they let Bernard Cribbins go oh. back just before the robbery and lets him let him fix bringing back the Bach music. So it's such a weird choice, but like, doo -doo -doo, doo -doo -doo -doo. okay, okay, sure. I will, I will note that um, I did listen to the commentary for this movie uh, with Kim Newman pointed out that this movie, you know, it was, it was a big deal. The first one was a big hit in the UK. So that's why they made this one. Um, they're supposed to be. They were hoping the Americans would jump on it more, but uh, he said it was really as a kid at the time. This movie was really cool as a sci-fi movie because all the big science fiction blockbuster stuff back then revolved around America, and this was the first one that really took place with British locations, felt British, and really attracted him. Like you'd hear names of things that were the British, and that's what this one kind of had an edge over. And to other compared to other sci-fi movies, it's exotic. He said, like, you know, technically, I mean, this kind of looks no different than a lot of other stuff, the cheapy stuff from back then, but the, the big deal was that it was London things, which I thought was interesting, something I wouldn't understand. All all those movies cater to me, so ha ha ha. Another, another thing that has carried over from this, and I think it's with the uh, new series what is it time of the dialects is uh the multicolored dialects the the mm -hmm. dialect paradigm actually that was something moffat like came up inspired from these movies because he loved oh, yeah. so like the color dialects and multicolored dialects in the new series that all comes from these films too oh okay that's it yeah and they had they ended up using some of these dialects for the chase i believe or ah power of the dalek some of them got maybe it was power of the dalek some of them got refurbished into the television show back in the 60s as well which was still running when this was made it's like so weird i always like i mentioned never say never again earlier but these are basically like that with doctor who and i don't think they were made with any kind of ill feeling towards it it's just kind of an odd odd choice but uh there was so there's this rumor that uh that, well, they picked up a three-picture deal and never made the third, but they said you know the third one would be uh, a remake of a, the Chase. That's how like the story goes. But I've seen many people in solid standing with the Doctor Who community who have said this is either false or there's like no evidence to support that that's what they would have done. Do you know any? I don't, but I can say that, and this isn't even a plug, but I'm just pointing it out there that uh, the mechanoids, I think it's mechanoids that are in the chase. Am I, am I thinking that, or do you remember? I'm trying to think of the robot because 
And the reason I, I bring it up is uh, they just brought them back for the first time since the chase in the new Dalek uh, animated episodes that they've been released mm. online during the right. Pandemic. So they've been brought back and actually used there. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah. I've seen like people, uh, I think Richard Bignall has said that this is not true. Like the, the chase was not, they like, they had, did not really know what they were going to do, but um, I think that they thought the chase wasn't going to work as a film. Well, it's funny you mentioned Richard Bignall because he's the one who actually found the script for uh, Journey in the Times, the radio. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Richard Bignall's a person who goes through like the BBC archives um, for a lot of things. If you own the Doctor Who Blu-rays, you may not know it, but if you stick your Blu-ray in the drive, you have every single publication from that year of Doctor Who on it, like TV, Radio Times things. Like he... Sometimes even the studio, like shooting scripts and stuff. Yeah, too. he's got it's you have a, a godly amount of reading time ahead of you <laughs> to look at. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, buy a portable hard drive, buy a Blu-ray portable drive, rip those things off there. <laughs> but so much like I haven't even done it with all mine yet, but so much stuff on there that I didn't even know for one or I just kind of glossed over like, yeah, whatever. Put it my oh, like, oh, there's that stuff on there. Okay. But yeah, so yeah, there's unclear whether the third one would have been the chase. It seems logical because that's what the movies were doing, but they're saying no, then I would listen to that source. I don't think there'd be anything to hide from that. But it's odd because like it, you know, we were talking about the the radio series and stuff. There's a lot of like um stories that were pitched and different stories that even went to the, the point of having treatments made mm-hmm. from the time period where that, that stuff just doesn't exist. It's like they didn't save copies. Like even the writer, like, I don't know if it's, it's not part of the estate where that was transferred over to somebody and archived or what, but yeah. like, it's just not there. So there's a lot of history, even though we are fortunate and have so much of Doctor Who, there's a lot of things that are just gone. Yeah, that's that's kind of the somewhat of an appeal of being a fan is that there's so much there's there's so much potential new old stuff that could surface at any time or happen. Like you're never done with the old the old classic Doctor Who. And there's some of the stuff that you're just like, oh, you're never going to see it. So that's it sounds awful, but it's kind of the appeal. And you have like, you know, conversations about it. You research yeah. little tidbits or speculate. And that's a lot of a lot of the fun that goes beyond just watching the show and talk about the episodes that, that exist. Well, that's another thing that you and I have discussed is uh, Big Finish has actually done lost stories where right. they've done those uh, original TV serials and adapted them into audio plays and uh, then produced them. Cause there was a whole mm-hmm. system with the sixth doctor, for example, that because of the hiatus uh, when they were threatening, even canceling the show, mm-hmm. there was a whole season that just got dumped. Yeah. 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 And so all of those stories, even, even though most of them were like further along as far as scripts or at least had treatments, nothing had been done with them for years and years. And then big finish came along and actually produced and created um, 
adaptations of them so that we could listen to them. I'm actually in the middle of that season currently, <laughs> and I hope to get back to it. I've listened. I've had the first two of those. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of the cool things that appeal. Like there's a lot of that stuff that Big Finish has made somewhat of a reality. They get the original cast back for these things. Yeah. Like, let's do this. Let's make what you were supposed to. Yeah. And it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. Like like the uh, with the seventh seventh doctor, he's got a season that was supposed to happen afterwards. They've got that and they've got some Tom Baker stuff. I mean, they're finding, wait, this guy pitched this. Well, what if that, <laughs> you know, whatever could be give you an idea of experiencing that history you didn't get to they're trying to make reality which is a really awesome thing here's another tidbit for you there was actually an alternate to the original dialect story that hmm. uh, the max masters of luxor and oh. that was and they ended up creating a lost story from that but like they had that where it was pitched to two different writers and terry nation script won out and then that's how we have the dialects gotcha gotcha Excellent. And no, this, this, this show is not paid for and sponsored by Big Finish. We just love stories, right? Ah, did I ah, I love ah. stories. Uh, but yeah, so uh, wrapping up on uh, Dalek's Invasion uh, 2150 AD. Um, so I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm solid on this one. I like watching this one. Do you prefer it over the original television broadcast or... No, I don't. I I still or I still prefer the original television broadcast, mm -hmm. but especially for classic Who, I think this might be a good way to like introduce somebody that right. yeah may not otherwise be into the black and white serials. Fair enough. Yeah, and it doesn't really mess with like because this one they don't talk about the Doctor being human. No, in this at all that origin, but yeah, no, I I prefer the. Because that that story is one of my favorite of the classic Who uh, story, especially the Dalek, and you know Ian and Barbara is such a presence to have, and then yoink out of here. Not that Bernard Cribbins is bad or anything, but just think the strength of what you have cast wise in that one definitely overrides. It's definitely longer, but it's definitely cool. But you can watch them like they were supposed to. Wait one one a week if you want, <laughs> rather than binge. I don't know. You have your choice now. But uh, let, let's move on to uh, what else? Uh, this is just where we talk about things we've taken in recently, books, movies, TV, or anything we've written or produced or anything put out there. So, Russell, what else? What else? Uh, well, I, I, I'm actually going to go away from plugging myself because we've <laughs> talked about a bunch of stuff with the finish. But um, no, I, recently I've been watching uh, Battlestar and going back and watching that because oh. I did not see like all of the revival series. So, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I've, I've been going in and diving in on that and, and trying to see what all the hype was about because like it got to the point where the writers' union strike happened originally, mm -hmm. and yep. that's where I stopped because okay, yeah, the, the writing and for me. Writing is number one, and if the story starts to suffer and drag, I, I kind of then lose interest. So mm -hmm. I didn't get past that hump the last time. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I, I really, yeah, I I went with that show. I think I the second season's where I started because I just out of curiosity bought the season one Blu-ray or DVD back then, and I was like, oh, this. I watched that miniseries. I was like, this is fantastic, and yeah, I no. And so I went through. I've been meaning to go back through it again, which is funny you mentioned that because I just I got a gift card from my work for 
the holidays and I used it. I bought the original Battlestar Galactica Blu-ray series, which I didn't have. So I was like, I put it towards that. So I'm going to go through that hopefully in the near future. But yeah, that, yeah, that series with Katie Sackoff and Edward James almost, I, I definitely like that series quite a bit. I miss, I don't know. It, it, I feel like so many shows jump for serialization, but they don't have what some of the more successful ones back then did. Cause that was kind of just its own thing. It, it was pioneering stuff. And that's a, I know a good idea for a bringing back an IP rather than just, they don't need to bring it back again and again and again. I think it's fine there, but the thing that struck me and like, I, I'll just point this out and take this or leave it is like, with Starbuck, both actors ended up being even like successful beyond like the TV shows. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, okay, what is it about that character that it ended up helping both of those actors as far as their career? Because like mm -hmm. the actor that was Starbuck in the original series went on to be in the A team. Mm -hmm. And then like Katie Sackhoff is, has done very well in both voiceover and like, now with the Mandalorian and that was actually what was like, Hey, I should go back and rewatch that right? because of she, her being there now. Yeah. She's got a great genre resume going right now. Like she gets, you know, she was in, you know, Battlestar Galactic obviously kicked it off, but she also got to be on like, um, well, the Mandalorian here. She's been on, she was on the 24, that series for a bit. She's, uh, she did that, I think, of Longmire, is it called? She's got a Western TV show. She was in a Halloween movie. That's where I first saw her was Halloween Resurrection. And uh, she's just got, and she was in the third Riddick movie with Vin Diesel and just has a little genre resume just building up. And she's, I, I when I lived in Los Angeles, I had friends that knew her and they always said she was the sweetest person. So she must be great to work with they're like oh my gosh she's so nice like she was like dating one of their friends or something like that and they was uh because i was watching battlestar galactica and they really i was always talking about like oh katie she's so nice it's like oh okay cool. so <laughs> she seems like a genuinely nice person um but that's yeah that's very exciting um myself i'm, I'm continuing to plug through my fellini box set from criterion i just I just did a two for back-to-back uh, -back days of La Dolce Vita and eight and a half. And now I'm like, there is no, there are no other films. There are no other great directors. Screw it all. There's just Fellini and these, but they're beautiful. They go through and I just, oh my gosh, mesmerizing little films. Um, but yeah, that's where, that's where I'm at on that set. Just to update people who heard me when I said I was starting. What, what's your favorite Fellini so far? Well, um, before this, I I'm I like La Dolce Vita a, Vita a lot. Going through the set, um, Knights of Cabiria was really good, and uh, one of them I, I hadn't seen um, that really started was Il Bedone, which was I think right before Knights of Cabiria, maybe or something like that. But it was a uh, one about some con men, um, and kind of dealing with the different personalities of each. One guy's like married and lying to his wife and he's trying to kind of do the final jobs to get out of it. One's like a lifer and one's like just too into the thrill. And they um, they have a job where they like, well, one of them gets arrested for something else he did years ago um, by being spotted at like a movie theater or something. Then he tries to go. They show him going back to that life and it just not being as good. It's just an interesting little character study, but it was. 
uh, different. But I'm noticing one thing I love. I'm noticing throughout, like he has a thing with uh, movies and theater. Like there's always some aspect of his movie that touches on that kind of stuff. And I'm not sure that many other directors were constantly pushing like a pop culture like having pop culture in your talk, having showing like the life of a performer in like an honest way um, or constantly showing different aspects, which I'm kind of pulling from on these, seeing them all in a row. But yeah, cool. it's, a, it's a very nice set. <laughs> so, but yeah, this is me. Um, and that will do it for this week on the show. Russell. Thank you. This is, oh, it's always great to talk to you. So. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to have you finally on the show. I'm glad you were able to help me out here in this dire situation. Um, and we got to talk Doctor Who on a podcast. So, oh, oh yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, let people know where they can keep up with your happenings. Uh, I mean, the obviously WTIU or WFIU, uh, the thing there is the Ernie Pyle experiment was the other thing that I've done recently. And then with Big Finish, I've got obviously a Gallifrey Time Morgan, yes, plug. So bigfinish.com, you can check out and actually do a search for my name and all the things that I've sound designed for them will pop up. You have a Doctor Who wiki page, sir. I do, I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you know you've done it. You're there, (laughs) Doctor Who wiki page. So excellent, excellent. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. My written work is at whysoblue.com. The show returns Wednesday with Old Space Show. And until then, always remember to keep the positivity in your online film chatter. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. 